The Liberals Gun Corner, a proud progeny of the Gun Rights Radio Network, hosted by Cowboy T, San Francisco liberal with a gun. This podcast is always available at www.liberalsguncorner.com, and you can email us at cowboyt at liberalsguncorner.com. Cowboy T here, San Francisco liberal with a gun. Today is March 7th. 2021. Welcome to episode 57. First new episode in about, gosh, four years. Whew, it's been a while, hasn't it? Far, far too long. Well, a few things happened. Life got in the way. And on top of that, my web server that hosts the reloading videos, and for that matter, these podcasts, had a rather catastrophic failure. Yeah, ouch. Well, it took some doing, but I was able to get the website back up just this week, and being a good liberal and viro-greeny-weeny and such, I naturally care about power usage. So, the website is running on one of those new Raspberry Pi computers. Yeah, Raspberry Pi. Now, for those of you who don't know what that is, what they are are power-efficient computers, much like what your mobile phone uses for a CPU. They're designed to run on a, a pretty tight power budget. And, of course, they run my favorite operating system, GNU Linux. These computers were originally designed to help school kids learn how to do programming and you know, electronics and, and such like that. You know, STEM-type stuff. That's a noble goal and a really good thing. Well, turns out the latest version, the Raspberry Pi Model 4B, that's for Bravo, has enough oomph to make a good basic desktop computer, too. Yeah, not just a learning tool. This is the first model powerful enough that I would consider it for a daily desktop box. It also makes a pretty darn good web and email server, too. The whole thing uses up, I don't know, what, uh, 10 watts? Yeah, about that, including the storage. That means it'll last a good long time on a battery backup system. We really like that. Also means any of you on, say, oh, solar or wind power... Uh, that's especially pertinent given what's going on right now in Texas. Well, this would fit into your power budget pretty darn well. Cool stuff. Let's talk software for just a moment. Those of you who know me and remember me, you know I'm into free and open source software. Have been for a pretty long time now. Yes, this little service is a so-called oh, LAMP server, meaning it runs the following. GNU Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP. That's what you need for WordPress, which is the stuff we use to host these podcasts. You know, it is nice to be an IT guy sometimes. You can do stuff, you know, cool stuff like this. So, since we are back, let me update you real quick here. A lot has happened. Last time we talked, we were three days from Donald J. Trump's inauguration as President of the United States. He became President Trump. On January 20th, 2017. Wow. Seems like yesterday. Now we're just a little over a month out from Joseph R. Biden's inauguration for that very same office. He is now President Biden as of January 20th, 2021. Now we are not here to debate the presidential election. I have no interest in that at this point. 
the fact is that the Donald served as president from 2017 to 2021, and Shaka and Joe now serves in that office starting from 2021 to at least 2025. That's the way it is, folks. And I'm done talking about that. I will tell you, though, that I got married a year and a half ago. Yeah, remember my camera lady, Miss Bleeding Heart Conservative, a.k.a. Miss BHC, is now Mrs. BHC. That's right. She's my best friend in this world, got to tell you. It just made such perfect sense for us to marry. So she got my mother's wedding ring. Same ring my dad gave her, um, gave my mom, when they had gotten married over, you know, over 50 years ago. So I guess Cowboy T is now the San Francisco husband with a gun. (laughs) And you know what? I love it. I made the right choice. I got a good one, folks. She is one heck of a cool-ass woman. May you be as lucky. I made a few really smart decisions at certain critical points in my life. That's one of them. As Hickok45 says on his channel, after all his videos, life is good. Let's get to some firearms and ammunition then. This is uh, the liberals' gun corner after all. (laughs) Now, those of you who listened to this podcast in the past, you've probably been aware for several months now on the uh, rather stark shortage of not just ammunition, but also guns. It's no surprise. We had riots in several of our cities. And yes, folks, they were riots. I would even call them insurrections, given what was going on. Don't think so? Don't agree? Well, I remind you, Kenosha, Wisconsin was in flames. Yeah, burning. So were parts of Portland, Oregon. Seattle, Washington. Let's just take a look at that for a moment. Where I went to school, they had riots. I got a friend who still lives there. And, you know, it wasn't just up in, you know, Capitol Hill either where they had that, oh, we're an autonomous uh, area. It wasn't just there. Washington, D.C. had rioting, too, and lawlessness, too. And I'm talking way before January 6th, folks. We even had some here in Virginia in a city called Manassas. Yeah, as in the Battle of Manassas back in the Civil War. Yeah. So did plenty of other cities in our country. And I don't mean just the peaceful protests. You know, like what happened in Ferguson, Missouri in 2014. That was a peaceful protest. That was mostly peaceful protesting there. And I know that because... I almost got caught up in it while traveling to visit some friends. Yeah. What happened last year, though, in 2020, that's that's not what I would call mostly peaceful at all. Burning parking lots, beating people up, smashing windows and doors, looting. That's not mostly peaceful, folks. Now, I will remind you, remember this. I am the son of a black man, so you know that black lives do, in fact, matter to me. And if you think otherwise, well, then you're smoking crack. We've talked about this in the past, and my views have not changed one bit about that. When the black lives finally really start mattering, it is only then that the statement all lives matter will actually be true. But what I saw this last year that reminded me of the riots we all saw in Los Angeles, California, 30 years ago after that after that terrible Rodney King beating. Folks, that's enough to shake up just about anyone, myself included. 
It's no surprise, therefore, that after seeing that, people might get concerned for their safety. Yeah. Case in point, I just recently watched a a, a panel. It was this uh, virtual online panel that the Liberal Gun Club had. This was on uh, Asian American gun owners. Watch the whole thing. It happened um, just a little over um, a, a month ago, maybe. Yeah, it even has um, champion shooter Chris Chang on there as a panel member. This guy's good, too. I've seen some of his stuff. He's a, he's a heck of a shooter. Well, they all explained how they got into the Second Amendment and actually exercising their rights thereunder. One thing I heard was that the 2020 rights were indeed a factor. Yep, they were. Yeah, they wanted to protect themselves from the rioters, too. Well, the rooftop Koreans from the 1991 Rodney King riots were mentioned also. Yeah. And I don't blame either the panel members or those rooftop Koreans one bit. They did the right thing. You always, always have the right to self-defense, folks. I've been preaching this for years. There was also a concern mentioned about, well, something pretty ugly. Physical attacks on those of East East Asian extraction. Yeah. Seems we got some wackos in this country who accuse Americans of East Asian descent of bringing the China virus over here. Yeah. We got that stupid way of thinking going on, too. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, okay, that's like blaming every last white Southerner for the existence of David Duke and Stormfront. Oh, yeah, uh, you really want to blame President Jimmy Carter for that? Yeah, that's what I thought. Of course we're not. That'd be legendarily stupid. Well, same with this. It's, it's like when we tarred and feathered Americans of Japanese descent because of Pearl Harbor, you know, including one fellow named George Takei. Yeah, Mr. Sulu from Star Trek. And he's talked about this. I actually watched his TED Talk a few years ago. Don't think the East Asian population over here doesn't know about that or think about that. Yes, they do. So, hey, I'm all for their arming up, too. You better believe it, baby. All right. You always have the right to defend yourself from harm. Period. Full stop. Thank you very much. And it turns out they're not the only ones. Apparently a lot of other people, after after seeing those riots, they wanted to protect themselves too. So, what'd they do? Well, they armed up, of course. They bought guns and ammunition too. And again, I don't blame them one bit. And this is across the, the, across the board, by the way, uh, folks. We're talking all so-called racial groups. We're talking Democrats, Republicans, Independents, Cucamungans, uh, you name it. So, with all these people buying guns and ammo, Guess what? There's gonna be a shortage. Just go into any store where ammunition is typically sold. Any store at all. You know, the local Walmarts, you know, they they stopped carrying handgun ammunition a couple of years ago. Even they don't have any rifle or shotgun ammunition to be found. Folks, I've walked in there. The shelves are bare. Totally butt naked bare. Ain't around to be found. You go to Dick's Sporting Goods, it's the same thing. 
Go to the online stores like uh, Midway USA. Same thing. Even if you're fortunate enough uh, to find ammunition, which, by the way, I did on Midway USA just today, it's a dollar a round for 9 millimeter. That's the stuff that was going for, you know, 20, 25 cents a round not so long ago. Huh. And you go on Gun Broker? Yeah, the auction site Gun Broker? Huh. Forget it. The prices are through the roof. It's even worse than the shortages that happened after the terrible Sandy Hook shooting. You remember the shortages of the, you know, 2013? I do. It's almost as bad with the guns themselves, too. Not quite as bad, but almost. The street prices are definitely higher than they were from 2017 to early 2020. Yeah, the, it's Like I said, it's not as bad. The price increases and the scarcity on the guns aren't quite as bad as on ammunition. But, yeah, they are still there. Yeah, the so-called scalpers are having a banner year, folks. It's just amazing. All because a lot more people, it seems, want a gun and some ammo for their own protection. It pays to follow the Boy Scout motto, folks. Be prepared. Fortunately, I was and am. But how about the people who weren't? One of the things we're going to talk about is what to do now that the shortage is upon us. You can do something about it, folks. There is something to be done about it. When we come back, we'll get started on just that. Okay, we're back. As we mentioned before, guns are already challenging enough to get. (laughs) But getting ammunition to feed them? (laughs) That's even more challenging. This is especially true for certain chamberings. Let's just go through them. One, 9mm Parabellum, also known as 9mm Luger, 40 Smith & Wesson, 45 ACP, 38 Special, 357 Magnum, 22, also known as 22 Long Rifle, 223 Remington, also known as 556 NATO, 308 Winchester, 30 out 6 Springfield, 7mm Remington Magnum, 300 Winchester Magnum, and 243 Winchester. You've probably heard of all of these. Of course, they're the most common chamberings used for firearms in, here in the United States. The most popular in the handgun arena are probably 9mm and 38 Special. In rifles, the most popular are probably 223 Remington and 308 Winchester. The reason for that, that's what the police and the military primarily use. If you shoot any of these, you're feeling the pain. I know, because I shoot se- uh, several of those too. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah, yeah, I know. Okay, sympathy's fine, but Cowboy T... What can we actually do about it? How do we actually get ourselves some ammo? You all know, at least you should from the reloading videos, that I'm a big, big proponent of hand loading. The other name for this is reloading. 
That means you take a brass case, you replace the used primer with a fresh one, you fill the case with a, a, a proper amount of gunpowder called a charge, and you seat a bullet on it. For the last 11 years, I've had instructional videos on reloading showing people how this is, this is done. These videos were always, and remain, free for you to use, download, and learn from. Use them. That's what they're there for. It's my way of giving back for all the help I got when I was learning how to reload. This is my solution to the ammo problem. I have zero, and I do mean zero, problems with getting ammunition. When I need some, I just go into the reloading room and make some. <laughs> yeah, it's really that simple for me at this point. But Cowboy T, don't you need special equipment? You know, the supplies, the dedicated space, all that? Not everyone's like you. Well, true, I'm a fairly unique individual. My wife will tell you that. <laughs> and all the other stuff's true, too. But you know, that does not mean you cannot get started. Hey, I did. That's why those instructional videos are there, to help you do what I did. Believe me, folks, if I can do it, anyone can. I've got a shopping list on the website showing you what to buy and yeah, about how much it should cost. This is for a complete uh, reloading setup. You're willing to spend several hundred dollars on a gun, aren't you? Well, yeah, apparently you are, and you might have more than one. You probably do have more than one. Therefore, well, yeah, you can spend $350 for a complete reloading setup, so make sure you got ammo. Huh, heck Yeah. That's a big reason why I got started back in 2009. It was hard to get ammo. See, back then, in 2009, Barack Obama got in, inaugurated as President of the United States. That part, fine. Problem. With him, he brought an agenda of gun control. And the concern was that he might actually find a way to do it since at the time both chambers of the Congress were also Democrat-controlled, and furthermore, the Democrats had a filibuster-proof majority in the Senate at that time, the fear of gun control was very real, folks. That was the first ammo shortage that I saw. It wasn't as bad as it is right now, but it was still pretty bad. Oh, it was. I remember it. And I realized that if I wanted to get any good at shooting, I'd have to shoot a lot. Buying 38 Special at the store? <laughs> not practical. Well, not only was the ammo hard to come by, it was also priced pretty high, too. Yeah, you know, supply and demand, right? Well, then I happened upon a website called Ammosmith.com. This is a website dedicated to, specifically, reloading. It's no longer up anymore, but while it was up, I learned a whole lot from the folks there. That's when I started buying reloading gear and supplies. Oh, sure, I paid a bit of a premium for my components. Yeah, of course prices had risen. And I knew it, too. You know, I, I realized what was going on here. I, I knew you know, the, the swindle, as they used to say. But I decided the most important thing is to actually have ammo. Therefore, the most important thing here is to actually get started with reloading. So I did. It's been just over... Just over 11 years since then, I have now reloaded and shot well over 100,000 rounds over that time. I don't know how many it is anymore, but it's well in excess of 100,000. 
I'm pretty decent at marksmanship as a result. This is both rifle and handgun, by the way, and I've done it enough that even over the last year, when I hadn't shot at all due to this you know, COVID-19 virus and the ranges having closed, I still retain most of my ability. Yeah, I found that out just a short bit ago with a range trip. I still got it. That's what regular practice does for you, folks. It becomes like basically riding a bicycle at a certain point. It's a lot like that. You don't forget how. Not really. We're talking about $350, folks. Sure, reloading tools and components are tougher to come by now. I know that. I know prices are inflated because of short supply. I know that. They were in short supply in 2009, too, when I, far, uh, when I first got started. Didn't stop me. I simply ordered stuff as it came in stock. Oh, it took a few months. Sure it did. But I got started. And that's the most important takeaway here. I got started. And now, huh, I'm reaping the benefits. You can, too. But Cowboy T, aren't primers almost impossible to get a hold of? Isn't powder difficult to get a hold of? Aren't those who have them, aren't they price gouging? Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> All three are true, unfortunately. Small pistol primers in particular are difficult to get a hold of. Gunpowder is tough to find in stock. And, yep, those who have them are price gouging. You're right. We had that back in 2009, too. I remember it. Uh, primers were out the roof for price. Still didn't stop me from getting started. You hearing a recurring theme here, folks? <laughs> watch the reloading videos. Download them to your computer and watch them as much as they'll help you. That's why we made them. Now, I will acknowledge that small pistol primers are especially hard to come by at the moment. There's a reason for that. Consider the rounds that the police use the most. Those are 9mm, 40, 38 Special, and 357 Magnum. All four of those cartridges use, guess what? Small pistol primers. Uh-huh. So what are the primer makers going to do? Well, they're going to focus on their government customers first, the police and the military. Yeah, the U.S. military also uses primarily 9mm for their handguns. <laughs> Is it any wonder that small pistol primers are in short supply? That's why 45 ACP, 44 Special, and 45 Colt are so nice in rounds like that. They use large pistol primers. Large pistol primers are still not easy to get, I know. But let me tell you, it's easier than small pistol primers at the moment. I know several reloaders who switch from 9mm or 40 to their 45 ACPs, their 45 Colts, and 44 Specials for the moment. You know, this is another reason, by the way, to buy another gun. <laughs> Seriously, it's probably a good idea to have, have two guns. One for a small pistol primer round and another for a large pistol primer round. And as for equipment, check out my shopping list updated just last month. Seriously, check it out. It's over on www.sanfranciscoliberalwithagun.com. $350 is doable, folks. You don't need to spend, you know, $1,500 on an elaborate setup. You don't. $350 will do it if you do it right. And if you have any questions, 
I'm on both Cal Guns and the Liberal Gun Club as Cowboy T. Just ask. And I'm not the only one who knows how to reload on those two, uh, those two gun forums. Hardly. You know, or, if alternately, if you don't feel comfortable going on the gun forums, you can post your questions on the Liberals Gun Corner website, www.liberalsguncorner.com. Now that we're back in business, it's like Mrs. BHC says. It's a recipe. You can do this. And then, get to the range and practice with your new ammo. When we come back, let's discuss a good firearm to choose. This is especially pertinent given all the new folks shopping for guns. See you in a moment. talk about selecting a firearm well that's a lot like choosing which car you want to buy really it's very subjective that's of course why the smart car buyer tries out several cars before plunking down the big bucks and buying it now sometimes you you do get lucky and find the right one right away yeah you got the right one baby Uh (laughs) uh-huh but most of the time that's not the case just the same, though, people go into a gun store, and they what do they do? They buy what their friends told them to buy. Usually, they do this without having ever actually test-driven the model at a range. I get it. Guns can be kind of scary to people who've never shot one before. I remember how I felt the first time I fired a real gun. This was in the Air Force so a long time ago now. Well, that five five six NATO ammo in the, in the M16... That thing scared the dickens out of me the first time I was on our base's range. And, oh, by the way, this was during qualifications. I had to qualify. I made it, fortunately. Still not sure how, but I made it. (laughs) But, yeah, it was kind of scary. So, I get it. Many people are kind of intimidated about actually going to a gun range and firing an actual gun. That's why I do everything I can to be as helpful to new shooters as I can. I remember. One of those ways I try to help is by pointing this fact out. It really is very important to try several models. You don't know what a particular type of gun is going to feel like under actual recoil, that is, when you go bang, until you test fire it. There are ranges that have guns for rental. I know that because I used to work at one. I suggest you go ahead and take advantage of that sort of thing. You'll have to buy the ammo from the range for use in that gun, probably. Yeah. Okay. But so what? I did that when I bought my carry piece. I tried a few compact models at the range, settled on one of them. That's the one I bought. And I bought it because I discovered, while trying it, that it works pretty darn well for me. So I can make some suggestions based on what I've seen do well for a lot of people at our range. 
Now, please, folks, if I don't list your type of gun, those of you older hands at all this, please don't get upset. This isn't a Ford Chevy Dodge Holy War. What works for you might not be optimal for another person's hands. Case in point, Ruger makes a large, high-quality, 44 Magnum revolver that they call the Red Hawk. I have one. Fine revolver. You can change the grip on it to one that better fits your hand if you like. It's, that's true with most revolvers, actually. I'd heard good things about um, the mono grip from a company called Hogue, so I tried a rental Red Hawk that had one. And it didn't feel so great in my hands. Then I touched off around in it. It actually hurt my hand. Well, so then I tried Packmeyer's presentation grip on that same revolver. Now, this is with permission from the range to do that, of course. That felt much, much better. So, guess what? My personal Red Hawk has a Packmeyer presentation grip on it. Others happen to love the Hogue monogrip on that same gun. It's just like with cars. Uh, Toyotas are very well-made cars. They're reliable, and they last a long time. But I don't own one, and I don't see myself owning one. Well, why? I mean, aren't they? I just said they're good, right? Yeah, they are. The problem is they don't fit me. See, I'm a tall guy with pretty long legs. Toyotas simply don't fit my long legs as well as, say, a, a Honda or certain other cars. And it's not just the Corolla or the Camry either. My mother has a Toyota Land Bruiser. I mean, a Land Cruiser, excuse me. <laughs> uh, she um, said, go ahead and, you know, why don't you do the driving once I went to you know, go out and visit her? You know, I couldn't do it. Yeah, there's not enough room in the front seat for my long legs. Her car doesn't fit me. However, a Honda Accord does. Even a Civic fits better. And that's really why I drive a Honda. Well, guns are the same way. So, test firing several models of gun is important. It's just as important as test driving a car. I speak from experience. Not just with me, by the way, but helping and teaching others how to shoot, too. So, with that said... Here's what I've seen work with a fairly large number of the people that I've met. We'll start with revolvers. The Smith & Wesson Model 586 or 686. The Ruger Security 6 or GP100. The Taurus Model 65 or 66. Charter Arms Bulldog in a 44 Special. The Ruger SP-101, for those with somewhat smaller hands. And, of course, you know, no list is complete without listing uh, Smith & Wesson's so-called K-Frame, which consists of quite a few models, actually. The K-Frame's been around since the 1950s, actually, maybe even earlier. No, the K-Frame has been around since 1899 or 1900, rather. It's old. It's a classic, and there's a good reason for it. Now let's take a look at the semi-auto pistols. And then all these are, I'm going to suggest, are in 9mm. Um, we got the Smith & Wesson Military and Police, or MMP. There's the Glock 17 or the Glock 19. Either one's good. Any model of 1911 pistol, the classic. Yes, they do have a 1911s in 9mm. Yes, they do. Ruger's SR series. 
the Springfield XD, and the High Point Pistol. Yeah, the High Point Pistol. Surprisingly ergonomic, especially for the money. Now let's talk shotguns, either 12-gauge or 20-gauge. Now, note that I tend to recommend 20-gauge in the shotgun um, area to most new shotgun owners because of the lower recoil. There's the Mossberg 500, or it's um, slightly less polished version, the Maverick 88. It's also a good one. The Remington 870, which I hope comes back soon. And the Hotson Escort. Now let's take a look at rifles. There's the Winchester 92, or any copies thereof. Uh, for example, the Rossi 92. Um, I would suggest 357 Magnum. Uh, the Marlin 1894, also in 357 Magnum. Ruger's Mini 14 and 223 Remington. And any host of relatively inexpensive, under normal conditions, AR 15s. Yeah, the AR 15 is actually a very easy shooter. You'd be amazed at the kids that shoot this, this rifle well. Now let's take a peek at compact carry pieces. The Springfield XDS, you know, that's a nice ergonomic carry piece. It's a relatively newer model in the Springfield line. It's called the XDS. I've shot the 45 version, and well, it's a good fit for my hand. Uh, surprisingly, they, they've managed to tame the recoil as much as I think the laws of physics will let them, and they've done a remarkably good job. The 9mm version of the XDS should be even better. There's a Smith & Wesson's MMP Shield, Military and Police Shield. That's also a 9mm. A whole lot of people like this pistol. Smith & Wesson really seem to get the ergonomics right on this one. Even I like it with my big paws. There's the Ruger LCR. It stands for Lightweight Compact Revolver. Uh, I prefer the 38 Special version because of its lightness. It's easy enough to change the grip if another, if another grip style fits your hand better. I like this little compact revolver. And the Smith & Wesson J-Frame. This is another classic. It's been around for a long, long time. My dad had one of these as his carry piece. Now it's my wife's. I've seen all of these work well for plenty of people out here. There are lots of other models out there, to be sure. But these are the ones I have personal experience with, and thus I can actually speak about them intelligently and with ethics. Any of them should... Should, uh, should serve you well. Any of these should serve you well. And remember, there are others out there too, so don't overlook something out there just because I didn't happen to mention it here. When we come back, we're going to deal with a touchy subject. There's something happening in our country that as an American is scaring me. And we need to take that on. We'll see you soon.
back we are, and here we go. Folks, I'm seeing a very disturbing trend. What I'm seeing goes against the very spirit of liberalism. We've seen it before in our country, and I thought we'd become smarter as a people than this. You know, this is after the first several times it happened, because it has happened several other times. But apparently that old adage is true about the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. Folks, I am talking about censorship. And I'm talking about the demonization of people, fellow Americans, simply because they might hold some different views from our own. As you all know by now, I am the son of a black man, and I'm a veteran. I was born and raised in this country. I've traveled to several other countries in my time, even lived overseas for a couple of years. What that's taught me is that overall, the United States of America really is the greatest nation on earth. It's true. This, this great experiment in, in democratic republicanism that we have, yeah, no one else has ever done that on the scale that we've done it. No one. Not on our scale. We're the only large nation on earth who's done it, and we're the strongest, richest, and most powerful nation on earth as a result. Our philosophy of freedom and liberty is pretty darn good. Yeah, our government's far from perfect, sure. But apparently it's a lot better than in a lot of other countries. Maybe that's why, as as Smokey Robinson put it, there's so many people coming and so few leaving. Yeah. All those folks coming from South America that are coming up to the border right now, there's a reason they're coming, folks. I don't blame them. Because Smokey Robinson is correct. People continue to come here in droves from all over the world. Not just south of the border, but all over the world. And they're seeking not just the economic opportunities, no, but also the freedoms that they don't have in their countries. To them... We really are that shining city on the hill. Not saying we're perfect. We've had slavery. We've had Jim Crow. We've had the extermination of the Native Americans, the near enslavement of the Chinese, the Japanese internment of World War II, violence against those who aren't Christian, and so on, etc. ad nauseum. We have bigotry today. So we're hardly perfect. But... Apparently, we're the best thing going. That's why so many people are clamoring to come here. I don't know about you, but personally, I view that as a point of pride. Even with those imperfections, even with our imperfections, folks, we're pretty darn good as a country, and especially a country as big as ours. My dad felt the same way. You see, as a teenager, he wanted to join the U.S. Air Force. Turns out life took him in another direction. Therefore, I joined when I was old enough. He was really proud of me for this. First time he saw me in my uniform, he actually shed a couple of tears. They were tears of a father's pride for his son. I feel pretty darn good about about all that. You know, right to this day I do, and I always will. Well, Dad's own right to vote. His own right was attacked not so many years ago. 
I mean, this man lived through Jim Crow. He, I mean, he saw the whites-only signs. He remembered the poll taxes. He remembered the literacy tests, the efforts to stop anyone black from voting, especially in the South. Jim Crow definitely uh, negatively affected voting. No question. That experience taught him just how important it is to stand up for your rights. You know he didn't miss a vote? It's true. He didn't. If he was traveling, he voted absentee. The right to vote and that his vote was actually counted mattered to him. A lot. Interference in the voting process was, to him, inexcusable. And rightly so. Just like his black life mattered, his vote likewise mattered. And as that black man's son, I share his view that any irregularities in our voting need to be thoroughly investigated and any perpetrators of wrongdoing need to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. We cannot ever allow Jim Crow to affect our voting again. Ever. I think, I hope, that any and all Americans, especially fellow liberals, especially those of you listening to this podcast, would automatically agree with that position. Automatically. If you don't, I don't see how you can be a liberal. Well, likewise with freedom of speech, too. Well, of course, back then we didn't have the Internet. It, back then it was you know newspapers, it was radio stations, television. And if you were black, you had to be very careful. Because if you weren't, if you said something that those who were controlling the newspapers, the radio stations, and the TV stations didn't like, well, you just weren't allowed to get on to express your views, boy. Nope. That's why we had black-owned newspapers back then. You know, and they were published on black-owned printing presses. Black people had no other choice but to do this. The New York Times wasn't going to do it. Chicago Tribune wasn't going to do it. Boston Globe wasn't going to do it. The L.A. Times wouldn't. The Dallas Morning News didn't either. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution sure wouldn't. Therefore, starting your own newspaper was really the only way to communicate with people. Radio stations? Yeah, okay, sure, but you had to get a call letter sequence for that and a license to broadcast. That's if you went over a certain power level. Well, getting those... That was difficult to do if you were black, and especially in the South. Think about that. That could be pretty difficult to do if you were black, and especially so in the South during that day. Why does that matter? Here's how. I remember being told by my dad and his friends that black-owned media, specifically newspapers and radio stations, were indispensable for getting the word out about the, the March on Washington in 1963. Yeah, you know, that was the big thing organized by the great civil rights leader A. Philip Randolph. That was that big thing where Martin Luther King Jr. made his famous and necessary I Have a Dream speech. That's the power of free speech, folks. I hope we all agree on that. Naturally, there were those who opposed this who didn't agree on that. Back then, you know, that was that is it was a lot of white people in positions of power. They did not want that message getting out. I have a dream. Oh, you got to be kidding. They tried to squash it. 
They harassed the civil rights folks. They demonized the civil rights folks in their own channels. Just totally demonized them, tore them up. I remember reading some of the articles from back then, you know, listening to some of the radio broadcasts, watching some of the, the TV broadcasts from that day. Black people who weren't, you know, grinning and shuffling, they got shouted down. Black people actually promoting civil rights, oh, they weren't just shouted down, but they were repeatedly demonized in the mass media. Get back, Negro! Yeah, we all know what word they really wanted to say, don't we? It was uh, something else. They did everything possible, legal and otherwise, to remove access to any ways to communicate with large amounts of people. Because they didn't like their speech. Because they, consp- they, they, they considered their speech dangerous. Insurrectionist. That's right. People in this country, fellow Americans, were getting censored and even blacklisted, pun intended, because the media bosses and their politician friends didn't like what these Americans had to say. Sound familiar? What I'm now seeing today, folks, is scary. It looks too much to me like the Jim Crow that my dad told me about and that I read about in history books. If you replace black with pro-Second Amendment. And it's effectively the same thing. Today we call it deplatforming. Yeah, that, yeah, that's the new word for the, the same problem we saw in the Jim Crow days. Today it's the internet with Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, and Twitter being the primary means of mass communication. To my surprise and utter disappointment, even Mozilla, these are the folks who make the the famous free software browser Firefox, yet this is an organization whose very charter is dedicated to an open, free, as in freedom, internet. I couldn't believe this. You should read their charter. It's in there. They had never come out in favor of censorship. And I thought never would. Until now. Mitchell Baker, the current head of the Mozilla Foundation, she's the CEO. She wrote a piece on, uh, on Mozilla's official blog that said we should go even further to censor people. She paints anyone who disagrees with her as a white supremacist and a violent insurrectionist. That's exactly what they did back in the day, too, folks. Uh-huh. Paint anyone who was black with an insurrectionist sort of brush. I'm sure you remember Paul Robeson was called a communist. And back then, that was a big, fat, scarlet letter. Uh Uh-huh. It got so bad we had the infamous Hollywood blacklist. If you said anything that the media powers or the politicians didn't like, you got kicked out. You were persona non grata. You couldn't hardly buy a job. That's what happened to Eartha Kitt for supposedly uh, being rude to Lady Bird Johnson. Yeah, right. (laughs) I know what Eartha Kitt said. She was simply answering a question about the Vietnam War and young black kids' views on being sent over there. And she was asked. 
They asked her. But see, it scared all those southern white women who were also at Lady Bird Johnson's little get-together. Against the war? A Negro actually answering our question and stating her views? Shut her up! Blacklist! Run her out of the country! Deplatform her! And we all know what they did to the Black Panthers in the 1960s. Just read any of the newspapers from back then. Listen to the radio broadcasts. Watch the old TV footage. Read California's Mulford Act. It's still current law right now. It's California Penal Code Section 12031. The same thing is happening to people today. Right now who happened to express pro-Second Amendment views. Well, heck, that's how California's gun control regime, the Mulford Act, you know, California Penal Code Section 12031, that's how it made it into law. Yeah, demonize those niggas. They're terrorists, insurrectionists. Makes me wonder, will I be next? Will I be the next black man that Mark Zuckerberg... Yeah, Tim Cook and Larry Page and Sergey Brin or Jeff Bezos decides to uh, de-platform? Will they label me a white supremacist too? Me? And try to silence me too? Demonize me too? I note that all the big tech bosses are white. Yeah, it does look familiar. A little different when you look at it from the, you know, the minority perspective, isn't it? Well, being one, I have no choice but to do so. Censorship is damned dangerous, folks. This, this smacks so much of Big Brother that I have to come out in opposition to it. Okay, so that means I'm going to hear some speeches I don't like. Some of it might even be white supremacists sometimes. Well, that's the unfortunate but necessary result of a free society, a society that my dad and others like him fought to help create and that I swore to help defend when I joined the military. I have never rescinded that oath that I took. During his lifetime, my dad worked to further that goal as well. Even though he didn't get to serve, he still worked for it, though. You know, some years ago, Dad and I talked about this very subject. It was the 1990s. This was uh, during the the dot-com boom. At the time, there were several legislative proposals to ban so-called hate speech. By that, it meant actually legally banning the use of words like nigger, spick, slant-eye, Chinaman, and so on. It could also have been interpreted to ban display of the Confederate flag for fairly obvious reasons. I was naturally in favor of this. Get that out of our society. Well, Phil Donahue had a talk show during this period. It was called, well, Donahue. (laughs) I remember watching it, and Phil took on a lot of uh, very controversial subjects of his his day. Brave man to do that. He, uh, you know how they say, We go there. You know, they say that nowadays. Well, he went there very often. And it was a discussion. 
you know, looking at things from as many angles as you could in an hour's time. It was his own version of the marketplace of ideas. Well, in 1999, he had two white supremacists on his show. One was a Klansman. Yup, the KKK. And this dude, let me tell you, he was in full Klan regalia. The white sheet, the white hood over his head, the cutouts for the eyes, that cross badge that they use. The other guy, let me tell you, this guy was so bad, even the Klan kicked him out. That's bad. <laughs> well, this 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 son of a you-know-what was wearing this this awful T-shirt. Get this. It had Martin Luther King Jr.'s head as the target in a rifle scope. And at the bottom of that gruesome picture were the words, Our dream came true. Folks, I wanted to wring this guy's neck. I wanted to take my hands, wrap them around this son of a bitch's neck, and twist until his vertebrae broke. Of course I'd feel that way. I wondered what the hell is Phil Donahue doing? Giving, why is he giving these awful, terrible people a platform? Can you even call them people? I mean it, folks. These guys were awful. The Klansman proudly stated, I am a racist! His buddy was just as bad with his, and I mean awful, I'm using that word a lot, awful, invective against anyone who's not white and Christian. It's the only word I can think of that's you know safe for broadcast. Well, naturally, the audience let him have it when it came time for the question and comment period, and some of those audience members were black. What the hell was Phil Donahue doing? Well, two things. One, he was bringing attention to the fact that this mentality actually exists in our society. Well, heck, it exists in all societies, unfortunately. And the best, dis- the best disinfectant is light. Bring this disease, which is what it is, a disease, into the light. Don't let it fester. Well, okay, got to go with Phil on that one. Here's the other thing he was doing. About three-quarters of the way into the show, he turned to the cameras and the audience and posed the following question. I quote, Even if we may be disgusted by what they have to say, do they have the right to say it? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Crap. Phil Donahue just made a First Amendment argument. Now, at this point, I'd been out of the military for a few years, so yeah, the oath was still pretty fresh in my mind. On top of that, from my elementary school days, I remember hearing, I may be disgusted by what you have to say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. You know, that's that little bit I heard from school, that's a paraphrase of something that Voltaire said. He was actually speaking about writing. You know, which is a form of free speech, the, the, the free exchange of ideas. We heard this in elementary school, middle school, and high school, over and over again. Free speech, even if you don't like the speech being said at that moment, is a basic civil right, 
and the very core of our democratic republic. Only the communists and other dictators would, would try to stifle free speech, you know, censor people for scary ideas, you know, shut them down from expressing their views. Only a goddamn commie would want to do something like that. That's what we learned. And I will remind you that most of my teachers who taught me this were California liberals. Remember where I grew up, folks. So after this Phil Donahue show, this is in 1999, I called Dad and talked with him about this. He agreed with Phil Donahue. You know, bring that festering disease out into the light so it can be disinfected. What's the, dis- what's the disinfectant? Countering them with our own First Amendment rights. That, he said, was the proper remedy, not censorship. I had to sit down and think about this for a while. Because, remember, I was in favor of legislation, legislation banning hate speech. And now I had a major fly in that ointment, a constitutional fly, something that I swore to defend, something that my dad and so many others marched and worked to provide for me. You know, I hate what the Confederacy stood for. I hate what it still stands for. I hate the display of the Confederate flag for that reason today. A few years ago, I was I was visiting the Postal Museum in Washington D.C. They had a display of a KKK hood as an example of how that terrorist organization tried to deplatform black people from the U.S. mail system. I, I saw that hood and it shook me to that core, to, to right to my very core. The Klan actually attacked the mail. They didn't want those darkies communicating with each other. You you know, those insurrectionists. That's what I think of the Confederacy. And as much as I hated it, I had to conclude after Phil Donahue's show that, damn it, he was right. Making the display of the Confederate flag illegal making the uttering of racial epithets actually illegal. That cannot be allowed to happen in the United States of America. As ugly as it is, as ugly as it is, the First Amendment is there to protect all ideas in that marketplace of ideas that we mentioned before. And that's the cost of a truly free society. You might hear something that you personally find distasteful. Well, that's America, folks. That's what makes us a free nation and not red China or North Korea. That's the difference. So for the modern day mass communication companies like Facebook, Twitter, Apple, Google, Amazon, Mozilla, and others in the big tech space to actually support censorship, to demonize folks who might merely disagree politically and cut them off from communication. To paint everybody, like myself, me, you know, like who is pro-Second Amendment, as a white supremacist? 
for our elected officials to actually call for media censorship. That ain't the America I swore to defend. That's the memory hole. That's 1984, and that can never be acceptable in America. But Cowboy T, we can't just let it go. You're right. We can't. So what do we do? I'll give you an example of the right way to handle that sort of thing. This is the right way, folks. The Code Pink organization did an anti-gun protest some years ago at one of our local gun shows. You know, ban assault weapons now! That was their chant. That was their slogan. Well, I was the only member of the VCDL, I'm a member of the VCDL, who wasn't at work and thus I could get there in time. So I staged my own counter-protest. The Code Pink folks weren't actually interfering with people going to and from the gun show, by the way. They were simply making their voices heard, you know, stating their peace. The property owners eventually kicked them off the property and told them, go protest on the public sidewalk if you want to do that, or the police will be called. The Code Pink folks, upon hearing this, complied and did so. By the time I got there, that's where they were, on the sidewalk. Of course, I had my San Francisco liberal with a gun sign with me, and I also, by the way, had an old uh, early Soviet-era Mosin-Nagat bolt-action bolt rifle slung over my shoulder. Uh, the bolt was open and unloaded, of course, you know, for safety. Safety first. Well, obviously, I disagree with the Code Pink folks' message. Ban assault weapons now! I don't agree with them. I don't agree with them. But I also support their right to speak, even though I don't agree with them. So when they told me that they got kicked off the property, I told them just that. You know, while I disagree with, with your position, you know, I wouldn't have kicked you off. Yeah, I know, folks. It's private property. Yes, the property owners had the legal right. So, no, it didn't violate the letter of the First Amendment. But I still think it violated the spirit of it. And I told these folks so. They were pretty shocked to hear this from a guy with an old Russian rifle slung over his shoulder. <laughs> we actually had a good conversation. I remember pretty fondly, actually, even though we didn't agree. It doesn't mean we couldn't be civil. And we were. Well, eventually they decided to turn it in. It was getting a little chilly for them, and some folks weren't really prepared for that. It can get pretty chilly here in, uh, in Virginia. Well, after they left, I went back to the gun show. I met some Boy Scouts and, and their father and their uncle. The Boy Scouts were in their uniforms. I told them all what I'd just gotten through doing, you know, talking with the Code Pink folks, the counter-protest. These Scouts said, well, yeah, you know, they should have gotten booted from the property. Basically, deplatformed. I told them, now, fellas, like you, I also wore the Boy Scout uniform. And later, I wore the uniform of the United States Air Force. The First, the first Amendment means something, fellas. That uniform that you're wearing, that scout, that scout oath that you took, it's just like the oath that I took when I enlisted. The father and uncle you know, said, you know, thank you for your service at this point. I continued, when we take those oaths, it means we're going to defend our Constitution. That means just as much as we're back in the Second Amendment, we also must back up the First Amendment. That includes defending the right of free speech, even for people that we might disagree with, just like those Code Pink folks. 
I gave them a moment for that to, sit, to, to sink into their heads. And then I continued. Now, with that said, since they have the right to speak, guess what? That means we have the right to. It means we get to use our First Amendment rights to counter what they're saying. And fellas, that's really the right way here in America. Here in our country, it's the only right way. Those Boy Scouts were stunned. But they listened. Their father and their uncle agreed. And they said, yeah, that's, that's true. You're right. I advised those scouts to always use their First Amendment rights and not to be shy about it. Phil Donahue was right. And now we're seeing Mr. Donahue's wisdom slipping away from us. That's scary. That's downright dangerous. And I'm really concerned now. We liberals have always believed in what we've always called the marketplace of ideas. We've been talking about it for decades, at least as long as I've been alive. Allowing that to disappear here in America. That would be unforgivable. It is unforgivable. It ain't America. And now I wonder if the liberals' gun corner here will be next. Phil Donahue was right. Remember what we said about the price of liberty is eternal vigilance? Remember that? Now is an example of just such a moment. Remember that, folks. Before you cheer for the deplatforming of uh, of someone, before you raise your your glass and toast of someone getting deplatformed, remember that. The price of liberty really is eternal vigilance. This is Cowboy T signing off. Until next time. Until then, safe shoot. Stay vigilant. Get your vaccine. And thanks for listening again.